This is KMTT. Tuesday, Parshat HaShavua, will be delivered by Rav Alex Israel. Uh, this week we're going to talk about uh, Parsha Vayetze and probably one of the most <clears throat> uh, one of the most popular images of Sefer Breshit, which is the uh, famous dream of Yaakov Avinu as he travels on his way from Beersheba to Haran. Uh, let's read a few lines. Vayetze Yaakov mi Beersheba, Vayelech Harana. Yaakov left Beersheba, his home. And went to Haran, that is where uh, Lavan lives. Vayifga bamakom, a difficult phrase. He stumbled upon the place. He met the place. Vayalen sham, and slept there kiva hashemesh, because the sun had gone down. Vayikach me'avne hamakom, he took of the stones of the place. Vayasem mirashotav, he put them under his head. Vayishkav bamakom hahu. And he went to sleep in that place. And he dreamt, There was a ladder stood on the ground, and its top was at um, the heavens. And the angels of God were going up and down upon it. And God is standing upon it or upon him. Vayomar and said, Ani Hashem Elokei Avraham Avicha, I am the God of Abraham your father and the God of Yitzchak. Ha'aretz ha'she'ata shochev aleha, the land which you are lying on, lecha etnena or lezarecha. I will give it to you and to your offspring, v'haya zarecha ka'afa ha'aretz. Your seed will be as numerous as the dust of the earth, u'faratzta yama v'kedma v'tzafona v'negba, you will spread out in all directions, v'nivrechu v'cha, and I am with you, I will guard you everywhere you go and bring you back to this land. Because I will not abandon you, I will not leave you until I have done everything I said. It is interesting that this dream is divided into a number of different sections by the word Vihinei. The first vihine is that we see the ladder. The ladder itself with its foot on the ground and its head in the heavens. What does that mean? The second vihine, vihine malachei Elohim, molim dimbo. We see the angels going up and down. What do they mean? The third vihine, vihine Hashem nitzavalav, and God is on the top of the ladder or on the, or, or, or on the top of him, above him. And now he identifies himself as the God of Abraham and the God of Yitzchak and promises him the inheritance of the land. This seems to be a third stage of the dream. And the fourth imach, I am with you I will guard you and I will make sure that you come home come back to Eretz Yisrael. These are the sections of the dream. Of course, very interestingly is, uh, is Yaakov's reaction to this dream because Yaakov wakes up and exclaims how can it be that God is here and I was unaware and then moves on to set up an, a stone as a monument uh, pouring oil upon it and at the end making a neder a vow to God um, a very strange vow which I'm not even sure we will manage to get to today 
I would like to discuss in today's shear the, the symbolism or to try and understand uh, how we can um, read this dream. Of course, when we get images, when we are allowed to see um, images through the Torah in the form of a dream, the image and the form of the dream must say something. I think one of the clearest examples would be the uh, mode of Hitgalut, the mode of revelation of the burning bush, the sneh, where we remember a, a bush which is burning but is not consumed. Um, and of course, this is a metaphor. Um, it's a metaphor for Bnei Israel who are burning in Egypt, but yet they will not be consumed. And God is trying to send a message, um, not only in the words that he says, but through the medium in which he presents it. What exactly is the messages of the ladder and the angels? Of course, we have the text afterwards, but what is the symbolism here? It's a fascinating symbolism. I think most of us are familiar with Rashi. And maybe we'll start off with Rashi and try and uh, elaborate upon Rashi's uh, understanding. Uh, Rashi starts off with his famous comment that the angels are Olim v'yordim. And he says, Olim t'chila v'achakach yordim. Why are the angels first going up and then going down? Of course, we would imagine, uh, well, certainly in our, in our understanding, is that the angels live up on high. They live somewhere around God. That is their home territory, their home base. And therefore, angels should be coming down and then going up. Yordim v'olim, not olim v'yordim. So why are the angels um, going up first and then coming down? So Rashi has a very beautiful explanation. Malachim shelivuhu ba'aretz, ein yotzim aretz. The angels who are accompanying um, Yaakov in Eretz Yisrael will not leave Chutzel Aretz, will not leave to uh, abroad, outside the borders of Israel. And now new angels are coming, which are of a different pedigree, of a different uh, nature, who can now accompany him in uh, Chutzel Aretz. Essentially, um, what is this message that is being given what is the message of the dream? According to uh, Rashi, these angels um, are the angels who accompany him. Uh, it would seem that these angels who accompany Yaakov everywhere, um, Yaakov has protective angels, and we're actually witnessing some sort of changing of the guard, where the angels of Eretz Yisrael are uh, leaving their mishmeret, leaving their watch, because they cannot leave to Chutzlaretz. And um, different angels are coming who can accompany him abroad beyond the holy borders of Eretz Yisrael. And uh, what, would be the, what would be the message? I think uh, this is the imagery. And the message then will be uh, actually the second part of the dream, um, which is, um, I am with you. I will uh, protect you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land, etc. In other words, the message uh, that is uh, taking place here is that uh, Yaakov will be protected wherever wherever he may find himself, not only in Israel, but also uh, beyond its borders. And uh, of course, this is a very significant message. Yaakov is, is terrified. He's running for his life. Esau is hot on his tail, or so we imagine. Uh, Esau has certainly threatened to kill him 
and uh, presents enough of a, a, a threat that his mother decides that it is unsafe for him to remain at the homestead. Um, there is a real danger here, and he is genuinely in need of protection, so much so that HaKadosh Baruch Hu comes to give him his personal uh, um, trust. HaKadosh Baruch Hu comes to say, don't worry, I am looking out for you. However, Yaakov knows that he is going abroad. Um, and uh, will he really have this protection outside the borders of Eretz Yisrael? And therefore, this uh, message uh, comes to, to reassure Yaakov. Now, I believe that uh, Rashi is drawing on more than just the local language here and the local imagery. Because if you look at uh, Parshat Vayetze, you will see a wonderful symmetry in the Parsha, or maybe I should say a wonderful um, chiastics or symmetrical structure. The, there's a sense that the Parsha begins and ends in, in, in the same way. Let me add that Parsha Vayetze uh, is very unusual in the fact that Parsha Vayetze is a single Parsha. It is a single uh, paragraph according to the Masora. Uh, usually in any given uh, Parsha there are many different breaks. Some are Ptucha, some are open at the end of a line, and some are stuma. Some just have a break of, of nine letters wide. However, Parsha Vayetze has not a single break. And I remember my one of my teachers, Rabbi Isaac Bernstein, Zichron Ali Bracha, uh, used to say that this symbolizes Galut, the sense that in Galut uh, there is no break, there is no light coming through. But Parsha Vayetze is a Parsha of Galut. Yaakov leaves to Galut in the first lines of the parsha and returns to Eretz Yisrael in its final lines. However, when we look at the final lines, let's see what we find. It says, "Vayashkem, oh, sorry, Yaakov halach ledarko." Much like at the beginning of our parsha, Yaakov is in transit. Vayifkeubo malachei Elohim, and he meets angels of God. Vayomay Yaakov kasher ra'am. When Yaakov saw them, he said, "Machane Elohim ze vayikra shem hamakom ahu machanayim." When Yaakov sees them, he says, this is an encampment of God. And he called that place Machanayim. In other words, two encampments. Two encampments. Um, why um, why Machanayim? Again, let's turn to Rashi there. Rashi says, who are the two encampments? It's not one group of angels and one group of Yaakov's people. No, rather it is Shte Machanot. Shel Chutzaharet in other words, Yaakov sees angels at the beginning of the Parsha, and he sees angels at the end of the Parsha. In the end of the Parsha, we see two groups of angels. Why? Because on his return, the Chutz La'aretz angels return back on high, and he has new angels to accompany him back into Eretz Yisrael. So there's a nice sense of symmetry here. Maybe I should add that this symmetry is, is stronger. We all recall the scene in which Yaakov sets up a Matseva, he sets up a monument. He takes the stone from under his head and sets it up as a monument. And probably any of us who have studied uh, Rashi in some sort of traditional setting uh, recall the famous idea that Rashi brings in the Midrash. Uh, one can un- certainly understand the Psukim differently from Rashi, but that all of the different multiple stones um, all somehow conglomerated to form a single stone, which is the stone that was under uh, Yaakov's head, they wanted all to be under the head of the tzaddik, and that was the stone that Yaakov um, created into a into a monument or a pillar. Um, there is a tension here by Yikach me Avnei Hamakom, the plural Avnei, um, and uh, and then the notion 
of the one Evan which is under his head and the one Evan which is set up uh, as a Matzeva Ba'ikach Et Evan. Fascinatingly enough, the parsha also ends not only with angels but with stones. And uh, at the end of the parsha, we have on the one hand um, Yaakov setting up a stone, a single stone, where it says Va'ikach Yaakov Evan Va'yirimeha he once again sets up a stone as a monument when he leaves Lavan. But then it says, Gather stones and they make a gal. They make a pile of stones and they call the pile Gal 8. Um, an interesting interplay between multiple stones and a single stone are seen at the beginning of the Parsha, are seen at the end of the Parsha. The Parsha is flanked with these themes and therefore Rashi is certainly tying into um, something very, very powerful. Um, not only do we find Malachim at the beginning of the Parsha, at the end of the Parsha, but at a critical juncture in its middle. Um, Yaakov is having a lot of trouble with Lavan's family. Um, they're accusing him of his wealth having been taken um, from theirs. We hear the voice in Perak Lamad Aleph, Pasuk Aleph, of Bnei Lavan who say, Why is Yaakov so wealthy? He has taken all of our all of our wealth. He has only made his personal fortune from the capital which we gave him in the beginning. Why does Yaakov look himself as an independent when he is really dependent upon our uh, our, our wealth? And it is this point that Yaakov decides that he has to talk to his wives about leaving. But before he does. He tells them about a dream he said he had. And he says in Periklamad Aleph, Pasuk Yud Aleph, he says, I had a dream last night, and interestingly in this um, dream, rather than angels going up and down, it seems like there are sheep going up and down. But then, And the angel of God came to me in the in the Chalom and he and he says Yaakov and he says Hineni and he says it's time to leave. I am the God of Bethel. Go back to your land. In other words, these angels don't only protect him; they also are there to nudge him out of Laban's house to make him understand when it is indeed time to leave. And maybe it is not surprising, therefore, that Yaakov, in his uh, final blessings that he gives to his grandchildren to Ephraim and Manasseh, he talks about in these very famous lines which we recite on a, every single evening the angel who redeemed me from all bad he should bless these children um, the, the, the notion that uh, there are really angels protecting him all the time so the first uh, dimension of this dream will be exactly these uh, angels, which Rashi doesn't quite say they're protective. He just says angels who accompany him. But as I said, these angels uh, come down to d- transcribe the Parsha. They appear at the beginning of the Parsha. They appear at the end of the Parsha. They appear in the middle to send him back to Eretz Israel, And um, they certainly seem to be this certainly would seem to be a central feature of uh, of Parshat uh, Vayetze.
that's our first uh, snapshot, our first image, our first take on these angels. And I hope I've illustrated them deeply embedded into the parasha. But I would like to move further and look at um, the work of the, 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 some explanations presented by the Ramban. And the Ramban says the following. And this is what he says. He showed him that everything which was done on this world was performed by angels. And who controls the angels? Hashem. Because the angels of God who have been sent to walk around the world, he's paraphrasing the Navi Zechariah here, Angels have to report back to God and they have to tell him what they see. Um, and this is the image that the whole world is in God's hands. That's the image that he wants um, Yaakov to see. However, then the Ramban makes a very interesting reading. He says, He showed him, That he, God, is controlling the ladder. And the Ramban is relating to a very interesting point of translation, which I sort of stumbled on before when I was reading the Pesukim. Because we read about the ladder and the Malachi Elohim, which are Olimbi Yorodimbo, going up and down. But then we read, Bine Hashem Nitzav Alav. And when it says, Bine Hashem Nitzav Alav, God is standing over, what is he standing over? Is he standing over the ladder? Or is he standing over Yaakov? The Ramban wants to read the interesting imagery this way. There is a ladder. And the angels go up and down that ladder. In other words, God controls the world through angels, through secondary agents. However, Vinei Hashem Nitzav Alav, God is standing over Yaakov personally. God says, you will not be in the hands of the angels. You will be in my hands. I am personally taking responsibility for you and for your destiny. I'm not leaving you in the hands of any secondary agents. Um, this... This, um, in other words, there are two points here. Number one, the notion that God is in control. Uh, but number two, the notion that God is standing over Yaakov himself and that he is chosen, he is being uh, managed in a different way to everybody else. And I would like to amplify both of these um, dimensions of the story. Um, many modern commentators aware of uh, the the cultural context of the near, ancient Near East have noted that this, even the word sulam, ladder, only appears once in the, in, the, in the Torah. And this is a word which comes from the Babylonian language, the Akkadian. It's not always a word which appears in our sources. Um, but there's something else. We have here the famous lines of Yaakov um, when he wakes up and he says, and this image of a ladder connecting heaven and earth, the Beit Elohim, the Shah Hashamayim, resonates very interestingly in Babylon. Why? Even the word Babylon is 
the notion of Bab, which is like Bava, people know, uh, a gate, right? The gate, Babylon, is the gate of the Elilim, is the big gates of the gods. In other words, the word Babylon means Shar HaShemayim. And the ziggurats were seen as the, the these connecting points between heaven and earth. They had these huge, in a, in, a, in a plane, they would make these huge artificial mountains in order to um, somehow connect heaven and earth. Now, why is this important? Well, we have to put ourselves in the in the mindset of Yaakov. Yaakov is now on his way out, leaving Eretz Yisrael. Let's not forget that his father Yitzchak was never allowed to leave. His grandfather Avraham came to the land and also didn't really leave. And uh, Yaakov might well be under the impression that outside Eretz Yisrael he is leaving the province of Hashem. He is leaving God. And uh, maybe we can go even further than that. He is going to Padan Aram, Aram Harayim, to Mesopotamia. And in Mesopotamia, there is a sense that you need somehow to go up to God. And if we all recall the story of Migdal Bavel, which is based on a lot of the Mesopotamian thinking, that you need to go up to a very high place in order to connect to God, that God somehow needs some sort of connecting point between heaven and earth. And maybe what Hashem is coming to tell him is the first point, the first v'hinei, v'hinei sulam mutzav artza v'roshom agiyah shamayma v'hinei malachei Elohim olim yondim bo is, you're going to Babylon, you're going out of Eretz Yisrael, I'm going to be there too. I'm going to be there too. I control the whole world. Human beings don't need to build temples, artificial batei elokim, in order to connect heaven and earth. Um... What they need to do is they need to realize that Hashem can be in any single place. Hashem can be in every place. And that the Shar HaShemayim, maybe he's saying the Shar HaShemayim is primarily not in Mesopotamia, but it is in Eretz Yisrael. Maybe that's part of his point, bringing him back to the land. Um, But I think maybe this is some sense of immunization against two things. Number one, the fear that Yaakov has, that he is not only leaving um, his parents, and he is not only in personal danger, but that he is leaving um, the place where he should really be. I'll come to that, more to that in a second, um, but also to counter the sort of prevalent thinking in, in, in Bavel, no, Eretz Yisrael is also, Eretz Yisrael is primarily the Shah HaShamayim, this is the place where HaKadosh Baruch connects heaven and earth. And here I come on to the Ramban's second point. The notion of Yaakov being covenantally chosen. Remember what the Ramban said? The Ramban said, everybody else is in the hands of angels, but you are Chelek Hashem. You are Chelek Hashem. I am with you always. And I think this relates to the bit of the dream that we haven't really spoken about. Because the first major bit of text doesn't relate to Yaakov's personal safety. But he actually relates to him as the next in the chain of the Avot. Let me explain. At the end of Parshat Toldot, we saw uh, the struggle over the Brachot, but then we saw Yitzchak, who realized that it was time for Yaakov to marry, and he sent him, just like um, his uh, Avram's servant had been sent earlier, to find a wife in uh, Beit Betuel, Beit Lavan, 
to go and find a wife there. And he uses all the covenantal language which is taken from the Brit Ben Habatarim, Bereshit Perakud Zion, and uses the same name of God. Kel I'm reading here from the beginning of chapter 28. Give you the blessing of Abraham, says Yitzchak. What is that blessing? This is the classic blessing of Zerah and Aretz, that your seed will inherit the land. This is what Yitzchak, this is what Yaakov has ringing in his ears as he sets out on his journey to Padan Aram. He heard his father, the last conversation he had with his father was a covenantal one. You are the heir to the covenant. You are the person who's going to marry a woman from Aram Naharaim, just like I did. And I'm giving you the Birchat Avraham. And that Birchat Avraham is sealed with the name Kel Shakai, just like Avraham was promised before uh, before his Brit Milah. And um, it is... The promise of offspring and the promise of land. Yaakov might have well wondered whether it's very nice that his father was giving him this blessing, but was God going to verify the blessing? And what is phenomenal, what is extraordinary, is that without any passage of time, essentially that very night, Hashem appears to him, not only to guarantee his personal safety, but also to guarantee and to reaffirm his covenantal status. And that is exactly what we see in the first passage of the dream, where the, the third Behineh, Pasukut Gimel, Ani Hashem Abraham Avicha, I am the God of Abraham, I am also the God of Yitzchak, Ha'aretz Ha'sha'atar Shochev The notion that Yaakov is covenantally chosen, he is the one, he is the, the receiving the next in the link of the chain that he is receiving um, the Birchat Avraham. Again, let's put this in its context. Yaakov is probably very, very nervous, not only for his personal safety, but his covenantal status. After all, Abraham was told to go to the land. Yitzhak had to stay in the land. Esav is still in the land. Will Esav steal his covenantal status away from him in his absence? He's leaving He's leaving for his personal safety. He's leaving to set up a family. But what will happen when he's away? After all, he is leaving the land. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is coming here even before he has um, left its borders to say, not only will I guarantee your personal safety, but your covenantal status is intact. It is secure. Um, you are in good hands covenantally. So I think that is the uh, the next message that we need to understand um, when Hashem tells him that indeed your seed will be like the dust of the of the of the land, and I'm going to give you the land. Um, this is what it's all about. So this is a second image, not just one of uh, guard guardianship or being accompanied by angels, but rather Hashem is with him. Hashem has made the covenant with uh, Yaakov personally. However, there is a third resonance of this uh, of this of this uh, image of the of the ladder, which I'd like to share with you, um, and that also appears in the Ramban. The Ramban quotes somebody called Rabbi Eleazar Hagadol, and um, he's quoting from the Midrash of Pirkei de Rabbi Eliezer, um, and he brings a a, fa- a famous image that many people will will be familiar with, and this is what he says. Uh, I, I won't read it inside the Ramban, but I will tell you the basic idea. 
it says that uh, what Yaakov saw in his dream was an image akin to the Brit Bein Apatarim. He showed him, well, the, again, come back to the question, why are the angels going first up and then down? Maybe I should say that uh, there are various commentaries like the Rashbam who aren't bothered by this. They say this is a simply a turn of phrase. You always say up and down, run down and up. And this is true in many, many different languages. And therefore they say, don't make a big deal that it says up and down. However, Rabbi Eliezer does draw on this imagery that the angels are going uh, uh, up and down on the ladder. And I'd even say more than that. They focus on the idea of are they olim v'yoridim on the ladder, or are they olim v'yoridim going up and down on Jacob? And in fact, what he says is, he showed them four different kingdoms. First, the kingdom of um, Paras, uh, of, of Greece, and then the, uh, sorry, of Persia, and then of Greece, and then uh, Edom. And in each one we see, oh sorry, I'll go in order. There is first... Malchut Bavel, and it goes up 70 rungs and comes down. And then there is uh, the kingdom of Media, which goes up 180 rungs and then comes down. And at the end, we have the kingdom of Edom. And Edom goes up and it never comes down. And Yaakov says, Am I going to be thrust into the gates of, of death? And God turns around and says, don't worry, Im he brings a pasuk from Ovadia, even if he soars like the eagles, and the eagle we'll talk about as a symbol in a second, eventually he will come down. What is this imagery here? The imagery is of course saying that there are many, many different kingdoms who rule Israel. First it is uh, Bavel, the 70 years of exile, 70 rungs. Then it is uh, Persia. Right, we remember Achashverosh, who comes down. Then Media. Then it is Greece, and after that Edom. And in this regard, Edom symbolizes Rome. Again, the symbol of the Nesher, the eagle. And Rome seems to be going up endlessly. It never seems to be coming down. God says, "Don't worry, um, it will come down." This is a tremendous piece of imagery. Let me try and uh, explain it on a double level. Um, the people who wrote this Midrash were living under Roman control. And they had experienced Galut after Galut. They had experienced control by the huge superpowers which had swept the Middle East. Again, first the Babylonians, then the Persian Empire, and the Greek Empire. And now they were under the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was, was tremendously tough. And especially in the wake of the Bar Kokhba revolt, uh, had an iron fist policy against the Jewish community, decimating much of the Jewish community in Eretz Israel at the time. And the people in Eretz Israel are wondering, is the Roman Empire going to be powerful forever? Is the Roman Empire never coming down? And they look at the book of Avadia where God says, no, don't worry, Edom, Edom will be coming down. Now, of course, this is built on the biography of Yaakov too. Yaakov is running, is, is running from the predecessor of Edom. Edom first manifests itself as Esav himself later on became the king, kingdom of Edom, and it's not quite clear how, but it became associated with Rome. And then after Rome took on Christianity as its official religion, Edom started being associated with Christianity. Whichever way the symbolism is, symbolism is there, um, we can ask the question, or Yaakov is asking the question, hold on, 
I might be sitting here in Bethel. I might be lying here with God looking up, looking over me. However, I see angels going up above me. I see the Sarosh el Esav coming over me. Will Esav always have the upper hand? After all, I am the refugee and he is chasing me. Will he ever come down? Or maybe I should put it differently. Will I ever be allowed home? Maybe it is not more than ironic that when Yaakov struggles later on in Parashat Vahishlach with this strange adversary in the night, Chazal come along and say, who is this adversary? It is none other than the Sarosh el the sort of uh, patron angel, the Sarosh el of Esav of Edom. There is a wonderful paralleling of images here where the Yaakov, who is fearful of uh, his brother Esav, um, it has the projection to the whole of Jewish history with the Jewish people concerned for their very future, whether they will survive, just like Yaakov is, and the Olimvi Ordim is that don't worry, don't worry that people will rise over you because eventually they will come down. And the foresight of being able to have that Midrash, people under Roman control who could have that optimism, who have, who have that foresight, who could read that symbolism into Chalom Yaakov and say that just like Yaakov was able to return to Eretz Yisrael, the Galut will end. Just like Yaakov could promise to build a Beit Elohim and later come and sacrifice there, we too, who see the ruins of our temple, will come back and rebuild it. Um, Am Yisrael, who were forced out of their land because of people who are violent and bloodthirsty, will eventually be allowed to come, come home. That is true about Yaakov and that is true about Am Yisrael. So these are some of the images uh, which we see in the in the dream. I would like to finish off by just suggesting one final image, which I actually have not seen anywhere. Um, but this relates to the last dimension of the dream. And let me just try and illustrate what I'm going to be drawing on textually. Of course, we have the notion of um, the sulam, the bladder, who is rooted in the ground, on earth, and its head is in the heavens. We have the Eret and the Shamayim. The other thing is we have the angels. And I was wondering whether this could possibly relate to a totally different theme, nothing to do with danger, nothing to do with Chutzla Aretz, nothing to do with protection or covenantal status, but something much more simple. The last time somebody, see Yaakov is not only there running for his life, Yaakov has been sent in order to find a wife in Aram Naharayim. He's been sent to the place where his father uh, found his Shiduch, and he is going there too. And if you look back in the instructions that Avraham gave to his servant many, many years earlier, when he was indeed seeking that wife for Yitzchak, um, this is what he said to him. First of all, Vashbiacha. In Perak Haftal of Pasuk Gimel, um, Avram particularly refers to Elohea Shamayim, Elohea Aretz, the God of the heavens and the God of the earth. And later on, when the servant is talking to Betuel and Lavan, to Rifka's family, he says the following, he says uh, that my master said uh, said to me, um, God, who I have walked before him, God, 
Verse 40 there, Perak Haftalut Pasuk Mem says, Don't worry, said Avraham. The Ebed says, Avraham told me, the God who I've walked before will send his angel ahead of you and will make you successful and will find you a wife from my family. The last image that we can have with the angels is actually these are angels who help Yaakov find his his future wife. The Elohei Shamaim, Elohei Aretz referred to by Avraham are indeed the imagery of the dream. That there is the the relationship between heaven and earth and indeed angels are being sent not for protection uh, not to reinforce his covenantal status but rather in order to uh, to find him a wife and therefore here we have tried to present um, a range of different meanings and imagery behind the dream and uh, you can read it and see which one resonates with you uh, maybe all these dimensions are present in the dream, and as Yaakov was walking from uh, Bet El forward on his journey to Padan Aram, to Aram Naharayim, he was actually able to reflect on each one of these different dimensions of the dream and feel confident that Thank you very much. Shabbat Shalom.